Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so thankful that you are joining us uh, for yet another episode. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. With me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Todd, I'm going to go to you first. Um, What college football team and what NFL football team are no one wanting to play right now? Uh, Who are the hottest teams? Because I think it's pretty obvious in the NFL, no one wants to play the Ravens. Yeah, no one wants to play the Ravens. I guess in college, I would probably say Clemson, because, I mean, they were so pissed off by being number five that they just dropped 63 on the road in a conference game just because they could. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Clemson is the number one team no one wants to see right now. Yeah, they're, they're going to make the playoff no matter what, but, um, but yeah. What about you, Zach? Uh, I can't remember the last time I watched football. I'm going to say maybe like, I don't know, um, the uh, the Bears. Are they still any good? The, that's debatable. <laughs> to be nice, that's debatable. They almost got beat by the Lions with a backup quarterback today. Oh, okay. Um, the Eagles. They won a Super Bowl a few years ago, so... They don't have Nick Foles. Yeah. That's true. Okay, who uh the Jaguars then? No one wants there to play them because they have Nick Foles. Cheers. Yeah. He's coming he's coming back for uh for Gardner Minshew. Minshew Mania's over. That's right. I, I will say it was pretty great yesterday to watch we're recording this uh Sunday night, November tenth, at about six o'clock uh Pacific time. Uh, it was pretty great yesterday to see uh to see Minnesota beat Penn State. I really like that. Row the boat. Row the boat. Anyways, so uh, let's let's actually let's we we love talking sports and stuff. Even though Zach apparently doesn't watch any football anymore, dude. <laughs> I come don't. On. I don't have time. I'm recording these podcasts <laughs> and seeing movies for this podcast. I don't know. <sighs> Disappointed. Nick. Disappointed. Nick Foles, Super Bowl winning quarterback, right? <laughs> Uh, tell me you've watched a game since he won the Super Bowl. I think so. <laughs> well, you watched the du- the Ducks play Auburn, right? I did watch the Ducks that. play Auburn. I, you so know, there we go. I, so you only it, watch it, games where your teams lose. Is that yeah? The, is that the case? <laughs> I, you know what? I I have not seen any other Duck game this year except for that game. It's so. like oh oh this is this is going to be a game that we might lose. I'm going to watch this one just to sour my taste saw, of football even more i i will say i saw 10 minutes of the ducks play usc and they were down 10 nothing so i i think i have the you know a strong argument for not watching the ducks this year have Just you have you away. watched any uh any uh less miles uh rock chalk jayhawk this year are they're not on tv is that a joke they're not on here <laughs> they're on half the time here really <laughs> yeah wow we need to talk about and you this. watched the game after the snoop dog thing i remember you texted me that is like, true if we they, win this game that, snoop dog leads the parade that's yes that is that 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 was the one game although curiously is the espn short on there the less miles in the grass thing or is that just a local thing have you seen that do you know what i'm talking about 
I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking I, about. I, I, I vaguely uh, remember hearing something about that, but... Woo! Anyways. Right. Hot takes. Yeah. We're killing it. Off to a great start. Great start. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into movies and uh, and everything with that. But first, um, Zach, what is in that lovely wine glass I've seen? I'm drinking the, the same wine that I was drinking on the last podcast, which was called Dreamfish, which last week I said was a nice allusion to the lighthouse because of fish, but also it works with Dream, too. So Dreamfish. And it's on sale. In case well, there you go. There you go. Is it the same bottle as last week? Uh, it is. Okay. okay. That's how long of a week I've had. I haven't even had any time to <laughs> crack open the bottle. It's depressing. All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking the Rebel Yell Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey because I really like the song. And I decided to buy the bottle. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I, I went to the I went to the store today to pick up a new beer for the podcast, and uh, I always try to find something themed. And so I got out of Unveiled Brewing Company. I think it's in Louisiana. Yeah, uh, this is their double IPA, and the reason I got it is because on the can, literally on the can, is a rabbit. Oh, so, nicely yeah, done. Yeah, I, I saw that, and well, that's that's the one. So, uh, so that's what I'm going with today. So it's uh, like a so rabbit yeah. mixed with something. Like what's it, on the other side? So it's like it's like half rabbit like and then half like the no, it's the it's the skeleton, like it's an X-ray v- image of him on the other side. Oh, okay. So it's like that shirt that uh, Nigel wears in This Is Spinal Tap. That's the anatomical, um, you know, like bone structure of his body. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Spinal Tap. That's what it was going for. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> not the cheese. Not the cheese. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you again for listening. Find us all over uh, the internet, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Find us on almostsideways.com. Uh, find us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review. All right. All that's out of the way. Let's get into this. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. Now let's talk about some movies. So our movie that we are reviewing for today is a a big awards contender uh, potentially coming up. It did win the audience award at uh, Toronto Film Festival this year, uh, which kind of catapulted it up into that status from being just kind of this dark comedy to being a serious contender. And that is Jojo Rabbit. So Todd. Tell us uh, what Jojo Rabbit is all about and what you thought of it. Okay, Jojo Rabbit is directed and written by Taika Waititi, who is probably most known for what we do in the shadows and most recently uh, Thor Ragnarok. It's about a 10-year-old kid named Jojo, played by Roman Griffin Davis in his first movie role. And he is a kid in Nazi Germany who has been raised to sort of idolize the Third Reich. Like His imaginary friend and his guide through life is none other than YTT playing Adolf Hitler. And he is ex- as excited to go to his like Nazi training camp as Andy is to go to cowboy camp in Toy Story, which is kind of wow. awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's a great that's a great poll there, Todd. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, he, he's in the camp. He's trained to use weapons and villainize everything Jewish. Uh, the tables turn when he 
finds that his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is keeping and helping a Jewish girl named Elsa, played by Thomasin McKenzie, most recently from uh, Leave No Trace. Uh, she's keeping her in the walls of their house, and he's conflicted with sort of his uh, beliefs and what he's taught, and, and it, which is in contrast with his conscience and feelings that he ends up having for uh, the young woman. Uh, as you can probably tell, the movie is a comedy... Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, it has this almost immediate Wes Anderson type vibe, quirkiness and yellowness, sort of uh, early on, and it makes you kind of feel like conflicted about what you're actually watching. The Hitler character is simply there for easy laughs, as is Sam Rockwell playing Captain Klenzendorf, who's a Nazi camp instructor and a higher-ranking official near the end of the regime of the Third Reich. Uh, there's some uncomfortable laughs, I, uh, but that's really the only noticeable comedy in the movie. The, the storyline is truly ridiculous, so you can never really take it seriously as a drama, but the problem is that a lot of the laughs, I, I feel like, kind of fall flat. The, like, the annoying, like, Heil Hitler things by Stephen Merchant and his group are where they probably played the, for the most laughs with the audience I saw it with, but it really was just sort of, like, awkward and, like, a SNL-type sketch thing. I was more intrigued by JoJo and his relationship with his fat friend and his relationship with uh, with Elsa, but those are almost like too sporadic to really leave that much of an impact in the end. Uh, th there's like the awkwardness between him and Elsa because she's like way older than him and he's obviously in love with her and he's like plotting to kill her fiance. It's like a really strange dynamic between them, but it, it was really endearing and interesting. But the setting's just so weird that I, I couldn't actually get 100% on that, even. I'm not going to say it was, like, a distasteful movie. Like, a lot of people are saying it's, like, not it's not in good taste to make a Nazi, uh, you know, Holocaust movie that's a comedy. But, I don't know, every 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 Nazi character, especially Hitler and all, all of his, and, like, uh, Sam Rockwell's character, are really just played as bumbling idiots. I, I mean, but and if you can't make fun of things like that, then what are we even doing making movies? It's a clever concept. I, I feel like it's just too light, and, like, the whimsy just feels a little bit out of place. I, I, I wish it was a little bit less slapstick. <laughs> I'd say it's, like, closest relative is, like, life is beautiful, and I'm not really sure that's necessarily a good thing. I think it, I think it was fine. It was, it was enjoyable to watch, but I don't really know that it's all that good. I give it two and a half stars. Okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like disagree with most of what you said this is my favorite movie of the year so far uh i i loved i loved this movie i i thought the comedy was it it was it it was enough to draw you in at the beginning and uh and care about what was going on when it got more serious um when you if you can come to the terms that you're just seeing everything through a 10 year old's point of view and and just it's such a unique take of seeing world war ii nazi germany the hitler youth from the viewpoint of this idealistic naive 10 year old boy and that is what like the tint that everything goes through all of a sudden it makes everything makes total sense and it is i i saw it less as you know irreverent and more it was it was just kind of charming uh some of the laughs sure were a little we're going a little far. Um, the Hitler character was a little offbeat there, especially in the middle. Um, just kind of throwing, uh, it was throwing some of the, some of the mood off, some of the tone off. But, um, 
but I, I loved it. I, I, I thought it was, it was such a, like I said, it was a clever way of, of telling a story like this, of looking at it from this little kid's point of view. Um, and it, it did something in doing that, that, um, few movies about this time period can do. And that is, uh, that is really tell a, tell a true story or not a true story, but, um, a story with truth, um, about, uh, acceptance and, um, and how all people are, are created equal, um, while also laughing at it at the same time. I, I don't know. I, I loved it. I thought it was, it was awesome. I'm giving it four stars. Like I said, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, it's, it's one of only like two or three movies I've given four stars to this year. So, uh, I, I can't say enough about it. I think everyone should see this movie. Uh, I think there's something in it for everyone. And again, it's one that you have to know what you're getting into when you're watching it or else it's going to come across as, as really weird. But if you can accept the premise, if you can catch that going in and, and go along for the ride, it is an amazing ride. It'll take you on. So I'm giving it four stars. Zach, where are you at? Well, I mean, this happens on every podcast. It's so I, we don't do this in advance. I prompt the <laughs> listeners don't believe us. One person loves the movie. The other person dislikes the movie. And then the third person is in between. And that's where I, f- I essentially find myself. Although I will say, I, I think I'm much closer to Terry than I am to Todd. Um, I give this movie three and a half stars. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I agree with much of Terry's points. Um, I, I think that the tone in this movie is unique. Uh, it's it, it fits the movie really well. It's a, it is a little jarring at first, and, and it takes a little bit of time to get used to it. But um, I think it's important to show... I, I think it's just... I don't know how to say it, but I think it's just as powerful and profound to show Hitler as Bruno Gantz in Downfall as it is to show him as a buffoonish over-the-top, exaggerated caricature like Taika Waititi does in his performance in this movie. I think they're, I mean, they're, they're different interpretations, but I think they're equally as effective as showing uh, both the gravity of evil and also the banality of evil. Um, and so people who get offended by it, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just don't understand that. And it's not even, I mean, it's not even remotely close to like what Mel Brooks was doing in uh, The Producers or anything like that with Springtime for Hitler or, or other sort of parodic satires of Hitler. Uh, the, the centerpiece of this movie, though, isn't Hitler. It's, it's the relationship between uh, Jojo and Elsa. And I think the scenes that they have are, are incredible. I mean, they're really well written. Those two young actors have tremendous chemistry. Uh, we've praised Thomas and McKenzie on this podcast before she was in my number one movie of last year leave no trace i think she's the next natalie portman she's amazing in this movie she's the mvp of this movie but i think uh the uh, roman griffin davis as jojo is also really good um you know, some people criticize this movie for not just Hitler being buffoonish, but also some of the other Nazi characters being kind of over the top and exaggerated, um, and really kind of maybe undermining, you know, some of the, the true evil of, of, of the Nazi regime. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to that I say, uh, you know, the character in this movie lives in his uh, imagination. He has his own fantasies about what the Third Reich and Nazism represents, which is obviously uh, sort of um, conditioned through the brain of a 10-year-old. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't really see a, a problem with it. Um, this would be a four-star movie. The only thing that keeps it a little bit from being a four-star movie for me is that, 
there are a few things that strain credibility a little bit with ultimately what happens with the Scarlett Johansson character. And then there's a crucial sort of turn at the end of the movie where someone is revealed to, uh, we, we think that they have a certain ideology or that they're following a certain set of beliefs. And then they have a sudden radical shift at the end of the movie that I, I didn't really believe. I thought it was sort of a contrivance on the part of the screenplay um, at a very opportune, convenient moment. Um, were it not for those two things, though, this movie would be a four-star movie. And, you know, the, the, those criticisms sort of ignore the heart of the movie, which is the relationship between the, 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 the Nazi boy and the Jewish girl, which, which is fantastic. I mean, the only other movie that really comes to mind is, like, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which is you know, in a totally different universe in terms of its tone. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm mostly in agreement with Terry in this movie. I, I think that, uh, it, you know, if there is such a thing as a feel-good uh, Holocaust comedy, that, that this, this would be it. Um, you know, I think, and, and this movie does have some, some very serious undertones, and it takes itself seriously. It commits to its premise. It doesn't really deviate it from it, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's really well executed. So uh, I think Taika Waititi is crazy talented, and, and I love the audacity of this movie. Uh, just just the concept and and the execution well and to go off of what some of you said uh the people who are criticizing like the portrayal of hitler in this aren't getting it i mean this is it's not saying that this is who hitler was this is a 10 year old boy's fantasy of his hero and i don't care who it is it's gonna look something like this no matter who who it is because he's this like i said he's this naive idealistic um boy who is who idolizes Hitler and so when he pictures him he pictures him as you know his best friend in every way a 10 year old would consider that and that that's all he all it's going for there and it is very effective again like I said it goes goes a little off in the middle just in in when it decides to use it but it um I think it's it's a very effective use of it all right Todd we've just heaped a whole bunch of praise on it Shut us all down. Well, I mean, I, I don't feel like your reviews were all that much different than mine. You just didn't, like, I the thing, the problems with it, you guys ignored, and I just, I sort of let let those things actually go into my rating of it. Like, I pretty much said the exact same thing as Zach. Like, the, the stuff between JoJo and Elsa is is great. That's what the movie should have focused on. But the, it, those scenes are too sporadic. It, every... It, I don't know. I I'm not I'm not as interested in what was going on outside of that because that that was clearly like the the hook of the movie was him finding this girl. But I don't know. I mean, I could have done less with Taiki Waititi. I th- I feel like it was a little. I I feel like he had too much screen time. I feel like he should have just popped in here and there, not necessarily being there the whole time. Because it, it really was sort of a really strange vibe watching, watching him like yeah be a goof. Except when they were like throwing the grenade, like that was pretty awesome. Like that, like slow motion running <laughs> scene. Like, <laughs> that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was well, and and it was, and it's like the first scene too. So I love, I love how it started out with this, started out with with such a such a bang, and then that just got you in, and got you in. You know, this is what it's gonna be. This is what we're dealing with here. And now let's tell the story in this absurd, ridiculous world. And and I just I just fell head over heels for it. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons that 
I admire their movies so much is that I think it's doing something that's really like pretty dangerous and risky. You know, I mean, I think any one of these scenes goes in the wrong direction or if there's a tonal shift in a place where it shouldn't be like this movie gets absolutely slammed and criticized. And I actually don't think there's been a great deal of, of criticism about this movie. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, I, I think it, it takes a, a lot of confidence as, as a filmmaker and uh, confidence in your cast to make a movie that dares to satirize Nazism while also still kind of having a heart and um, also relying so much on younger actors, too. I mean, you know, they're the centerpiece of this movie, and as we're, we're all sort of agreeing, they're the best part. Um, I think this movie is, is, is risky, and uh, I, I appreciate the risks that it takes, even if it doesn't always fully deliver, like what Todd was saying. Yeah. Well, see, but it's not the first, like, like comedy featuring Hitler. Like, there was, a like, a Netflix movie a few years back called Look Who's Back, which was one of the best movies of that year. And that was, it was like a movie about Hitler, like somehow being like what he woke up in present day, uh, like United States. And he was like trying to re like gain power and and stuff like, and it was a really funny movie. And I, I feel like it, this isn't that radical in how it treats it. It just feels like a Wes Anderson movie about Nazi Germany. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, if you want to come up with a comparison for it, I would say it, you could kind of say it's similar to. Inglorious Bastards in the way it kind of plays fast and loose with with history and a, the tone that you typically would take with a movie like this um, and flips it on its head and does something completely different and and recharacterizes history in doing so just in a completely different way where Tarantino took it in his Tarantino way and Taika took it in like Todd's saying, I think Wes Anderson is a decent decent comparison to kind of what he did with it. Um, but I think Taika Waititi also kind of has his own... He's got his own brand to it, too. It, and uh, and I think that that's what he's kind of been doing in, in his last few movies, is taking, taking genre-type films and completely turning the tone on its head and, uh, and seeing what comes out of it. And, uh, and this, one, this one really worked for me. So this was the audience winner at, at uh, Toronto, right? Yep. Or, and so we know what happened last year. We know what's happened historically. I mean, is there is there Oscar in this film's future? It hasn't gotten the kind of great reviews that normally Best Pictures get, but... I, well, Green Book didn't really either. That's true, too. I, I would say you... It's, it's in the conversation for getting the picture nomination. Um, Todd, when we talked last about oscar predictions we were saying it's it's pretty well shoo-in for adapted screenplay right yeah oh yeah i would say that that's its most locked nomination i'm not sure anything else is necessarily for sure i i think there's a decent chance for thomas and mckenzie and i i don't think there's any way he gets nominated for best director but best picture is certainly in, in the question yeah he, he might be a, a dark horse for best director to get in uh, I heard a rid, uh, initially some early buzz about some potential best supporting actor for Taika uh, for playing Hitler, but I don't know. I don't necessarily see that happening. I think if any actor—that's a Golden Globe nominated performance. Yes, yes, yes. it is. Uh, I think if any actor gets in, it might be Scarlett Johansson as best supporting actress. I've heard some buzz there. Um, She's not getting two nominations. She might. Well, or or it might be uh, if they decide not to nominate her for Marriage Story, maybe she gets in for uh, for this. I don't know. That'd be weird. It would it's be been weird. A long, it's been a long time since they've had the dual acting nomination. Let, let's bring it back. You know, was the last was the last time two thousand four with uh, Kate Blanchett. Oh, oh, Kate Blanchett. That's right. 
Was that 2008? Seven. Seven. Yeah. I think, yeah. It's still been a while, though. It has been a while. I could see it. I mean, it could happen. It could happen. But, uh, yeah, we're kind of all over the board on this, but like Todd said, we're kind of all saying the same thing. It's just as how... How much you were willing to buy into what was what was being served? So if uh, if a quirky comedy about uh, about Nazis and World War II and Hitler and the Holocaust sounds uh, intriguing to you, uh, go check out Jojo Rabbit. Um, like we were saying, it's probably going to be talked about for the next couple months leading into Oscar season because it. Uh, I think enough people are are getting it and liking it that it's going to be uh it's going to carry through a lot of the awards season so go see it it's it's kind of hard to find right now it got a a semi-wide release this last weekend so uh so see it if you can uh it i'd say it's it's worth the watch todd would you say it's at least worth the watch yeah i mean well yeah it's a movie you probably should see if you like movies i I just i mean it depends if it works for you or not i just don't i just didn't see the I, I thought the jokes fell flat, and you guys really got into it. So, I mean, it really is just a matter of your taste. Yeah. So, Todd, you didn't you even like the joke about the German Shepherd. I mean, that didn't even get a smile. Come on, that was that was funny. I, I, I thought that was like the lamest yeah. joke of the whole movie, actually. <laughs> it was. It was probably so lame that it was funny. It was like a naked gun type joke. I think I think the, honestly the the part that I, I I actually chuckled at the most was like the very first thing Sam Rockwell says, which like, he's like just like drinking out of his flask. He's like, no, I let the guys. <laughs> it's for all the kids. I was just like, wow, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but I love Sam Rockwell. <laughs> Does Sam Rockwell now just only play assholes? I mean, is that his thing now? He's just given up everything else. I mean, maybe he's always played assholes, but like that's now just a stipulation in his contract, or maybe it's just assumed. And it's got to be a, a character arc that you hate, apparently. Yeah, and usually, usually racist. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, all right, I don't see him getting in again. I mean, he did get in for a useless well, he can performance get for last George year. W. Bush. Yeah, yeah. He's he way better in this the, movie than he was yeah. as George W. He Bush. He does way more in this in this movie than he did did in uh, in Vice, but uh, I don't see him getting in. Anyways, so Todd, you gave it two stars, right? Two and a half. Two and a half. So two and a half from Todd, three and a half from Zach, four from me. Uh, definitely a movie worth seeing while it's in theaters. Uh, and like we said, you're going to be hearing a lot about it come awards season. All right. So that is Jojo Rabbit. Now, moving into our next topic, which is uh, somewhat related to, well, no, very much related to Jojo Rabbit, as uh, we're move, moving into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And uh, this has kind of turned into our Mount Rushmore segment, and uh, we have a Mount Rushmore uh, for today. And Zach, you're the one that suggested it, so I'm going to let you introduce it. What are we talking about today? Well, get ready. It's it's everyone's favorite category, the most uplifting. It is the all-time great greatest Mount Rushmore of Holocaust movies. The Mount Rushmore of Holocaust movies. Yes. There's been a lot of them, mm-hmm. and Some. and and not all of them are you know as uh, as uh, quirky and fun as Jojo Rabbit. So no, not not really. No, <laughs> somehow not. Uh, okay, well, um, let's see here. I think I'm gonna go first on this. I never go first on these things, and 
I mean, I think I'm. Th there's so many ways you can go on this, and I I know where Zach's gonna go already. I have no what? idea where Todd's gonna go, but uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're gonna say, Zach. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the easy one, and and possibly I don't know if there is a better Holocaust movie than Schindler's List. So uh, I'm gonna throw that one out there first. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, everything. I think Spielberg has has kind of lost his way a little bit the last few years in in how he's been making his films. Everything from like War Horse to Bridge of Spies to The Post, but all of his kind of you know classic glossy Hollywood was absent from Schindler's List. But the way the little moments that he did put it in were so perfect and poignant. I thought it, I thought it was. Amazing. I, I rewatched it within like the last year or so, and it was, it still stands as incredibly moving, incredibly uh, powerful. Uh, Liam Neeson uh, is outstanding. Ray Fiennes, one of the greatest villains of all time in, in that uh, in that film. Um, I mean, you can't get any better than Schindler's List. I mean, it it's one of the greatest movies of all time, um, and uh, yeah, so. I'm going with that because you can't get any better than that. So, there we go. All right, Zach. I'm going to you next. Well, apparently you know what I'm going to say. I know so. exactly what you're going to say. Okay. Well, speaking as someone who uh, has Schindler's List in their top ten movies of all time, I really can't argue with that at all. It's, uh, thank you for taking that for the team, Terry, because I guess if, if you had said something else, I would have had to say Schindler's List, and if we hadn't said then Todd would have to say it. So, so someone had to say it at some point. Or someone could have had disagreed, to say that would be the one that we would have had as our... Or it, it would have been true. like our, our, our fall most anticipated movies list when we decided to not include The Irishman. It's just, it's well, just should, such a given. I... It's a... Should I pick something else then, so that uh, so that Schindler's List can be the one we all agree on? No, we'll have a good discussion now. Okay, okay. <laughs> Ooh, I all like right. it. Me. Well, Zach, okay. go for it. Well, the one I'm going to pick, uh, apparently Terry already knows this, is actually a, per a, per a movie that uh, really not a lot of people have seen. It's from 2001. It is Tim Blake Nelson's The Gray Zone. Did you know? Uh huh. Did, did you know yeah, that's exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's exactly you know, what you know, I knew you, you know were going to say. I, I know okay, you very well. well. Cool. <laughs> like you must. Jeez. All right. Uh, well, The Gray Zone is uh, one of the great underrated movies of all time, and it it, is, it tells the true story of the Sonder Commando unit uh, in uh, Auschwitz, which was this unit of Jewish prisoners who were given um, extra months to live in exchange for uh, operating the gas chambers and doing some of the most heinous work um, at the at the camp. And it's really, um, it, it's not really about one character. It's about these kind of group of Jews played by uh, David Arquette, Steve Buscemi is in it, Daniel Benzali. And uh, it's about their attempts to organize a rebellion. But that's not just the only story. The movie actually has several subplots, too. One of the subplots is based on the real-life uh, doctor at uh, the uh, at Auschwitz, uh, Dr. Miklos Niesli, who, uh, it, it, in the same way, in a similar way to the Sonner Commandos, was given extra uh, months of life. His family was spared um, in, in exchange for, uh, again, partaking in uh, radical experiments, the kind of uh, Dr. Mengele-type stuff. And then it also shows the story of the women's camp, which helps in the 
uh, rebellion, the attempted coup. Um, it's a really dark movie. Obviously, it's like totally, uh, you know, uh, far removed from Jojo Rabbit. It's dour. It's serious. It actually has wonderful dialogue to it. Almost at times feels like a David Mamet movie. Um, one of the criticisms of the movie is that the actors are all very American. They don't try to talk in any accents, except for Harvey Keitel, who plays one of the Gestapo uh, commanders. And I think people kind of get lost. They they don't love the, the part. Of, the critics didn't love the performances in this movie, and I think that's that's really what what they kind of got stuck on but what they ignored was the great writing and the absolutely uh you know fantastic sort of moral uh questions raised about these jews who are living who get extensions on their lives but for doing some of the most horrible things imaginable the film was uh written and directed by Tim Blake Nelson, uh, who's not even in the movie, uh, but he's, uh, you know, he should do more work as a director. Um, it's one of the best movies ever made. Uh, if you like Schindler's List, if you like The Pianist, uh, this is a must-see. Yeah, in college, you made me sit down and watch that at one point, Zach. Because you couldn't well, stop talking about the gray zone and the war zone, and you made me sit down and watch both of them because both are on your shelf right now. Very, very different movies, but equally depressing, and both directed yes. by actors named Tim. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> All right, so we have we have Schindler's List, we have the Gray Zone. Todd, where are you going? Uh, I guess I'll go a little off the board. I'm going with uh, 1961's Judgment at Nuremberg. So Ooh, nice. I think I mean it's not necessarily a, like takes place during the Holocaust. It's about the Nuremberg trials, but it does feature flashbacks and uh, from the testimonies. It, it's got one of the most on- astonishing ensemble casts of all time. The the perspective of showing like the willing and unwilling Nazi participants getting held responsible for their crimes is disturbing and compelling at the same time. Uh, it, I mean, uh, the, I don't know. The, the acting is amazing. Like Montgomery Cliff gives one of like I think it's my number five supporting actor performance of all time, and uh, it's a three-hour courtroom drama that is never anything less than compelling. I I've always loved the movie, and I think it would have to have to be mentioned with the the great Holocaust movies. I have never seen Judgment at Nuremberg. That's a total Terry movie, too. It, yeah, it's on my list. It's on my long list, but, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to that one yet. I really I want saw, to. I saw it a long, long time ago. I really only remember Judy Garland from it, and, I guess, Maximilian Schell, but uh, it, it would be worth a rewatch. And Judy Garland's great. Montgomery Clift is just next level. Like You could tell he's there's something... He, he was like the, the River Phoenix of, of that era. Okay, so that gets us Schindler's List, The Gray Zone, and Judgment at Nuremberg. Where are we going with this last one? I mean, we're, we could go a lot of different ways. I, I know I'm a big fan of Life is Beautiful. It sounds like, Todd, you, you hate that movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never gotten into that movie. Way too goofy and playful for a, a very de- de- depressing story. Okay, well, I, I guess that's maybe consistent with your review of Jojo Rabbit a little bit. No, I don't. I don't care that it's about. I don't. I, I, that was not my like. That was not my criticism of Jojo Rabbit. I'm, I, I don't think that that tone works at all in Life Is Beautiful. Well, what what are you guys thinking? What what's another one that you guys would throw out there? What about the, uh, the the most famous unmade movie of all time, The Day the Clown Cried by uh, Jerry Lewis, which was his, uh, 
you know, it was supposed to be about a clown that entertains children, and it was a, it, it was a Holocaust comedy too, but it never got made. Well, it did get made, but no one's seen it. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, okay. I, I, I've heard of it, but yet yeah, no, no. Except for randomly, um, uh, uh, Harry Shearer has seen it. No, not. Uh, well, like there's like five random people in the world who have seen it, but all right, whatever. Moving on. Uh, how about how about the pianist? I, I, I mean, that's 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 one that, that you know, yeah, that was one. I I need to revisit what that one. I haven't seen it in a long time, but that's that's been one of my favorites. When I saw it, I I absolutely loved it. So that's. That's one I, I'd be okay with. Um, I was thinking Sophie's Choice. Yeah, that's another oh, one that's I was thinking one. too. They got to throw out there. Um, another Diary one of that's, Van Frank. I've never seen Diary of Van Frank, actually. Um, Son of Saul, I feel like, is one of those movies that, like, will be looked back on as great, at, as, as great. But, like, when it came out, I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of it, but it does have a lot of really cool style to it. And it tells almost the exact same. It almost tells the exact same story as The Gray Zone. Um. Yeah. What about the reader? I was a fan of the reader, but but I don't think it would go down as an, a Mount Rushmore. I'd go for the pianist before the reader. So another one I, I saw. Mean, I, li- I like Defiance a lot, but that's that's sort of like a <laughs> like more fringe. Yeah, that's a, that one's a little different. I I do like I do like well, Defiance too. And then another, too. just another direction we could take this. And I mean, we we haven't talked about documentaries at all. We could mention uh, Claude Landsman's Shoah, which is one of the greatest documentaries ever made. I mean, if, if you're talking about the Holocaust, that's that's pretty much an invaluable watch. But it is also ten hours long. And I haven't seen it. Uh, can you can you go like uh, episode eight of Band of Brothers? <laughs> and. Uh, I mean that that that, that is a good episode. It, it's a it's an amazing episode where the where the company comes across the the concentration camp that's been abandoned. Um, the uh, one that I've seen I saw this summer actually that I don't think you guys have seen so I'll, I just want to mention it. It's a film called Denial. It came out uh, twenty sixteen uh, with uh, Rachel Weisz and Timothy Spall about um, the. Uh, the uh, Holocaust denier uh, suing a uh, an author for uh, criticizing him in in uh, in denying the Holocaust to ever happened. Have you guys heard of this movie? Yes. It Did was actually it, really though. good. It was really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. But um, but yeah, it, it's it, it it's another one that's taking it kind of in a different direction, kind of like Judgment Nuremberg, where it's not set in the Holocaust, but it. It tells a story of it. One more that I'll throw out too is uh, is a uh, German movie called Lore, which was made about seven or eight years ago. It was on my top list oh, of yeah, 2012. I that movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie directed by Kate Shortland, who uh, is now going to be pretty well known because she's the the director of the new Black Widow movie. But it's also in in a, sim- in a similar. It's a little similar to Jojo Rabbit. It's about a kid who's basically brainwashed by the Nazis, um, and then basically over the course of the movie, she becomes more and more sympathetic to uh, you know the, the Jews that she meets and. Uh, it's it's actually a, a really really powerful movie, but no one has seen it sadly. I'll throw I'll throw I'll throw two more out there. Um, one is a, a film that won best foreign film probably about ten years ago, The Counterfeiters. Uh, about yeah, that's like a good one. The, this yeah a great uh, counterfeiter that the that ends up in a in a concentration camp helping the Nazis counterfeit money, and then um, the other one. I mean, I would be willing to put into consideration. Jojo Rabbit. I mean, it's not. We're not going to pick it, 
But I think if we were to have this conversation in a year or two uh, and talk about the best Holocaust films, I think Jojo Rabbit might be might be a part of that uh, that discussion. Yeah, and we're forgetting some of the German films too, like Downfall or Sophie Scholl, which were both of which were excellent. I don't think we can put Jojo Rabbit on this list though. Would you guys consider Inglorious Bastards a Holocaust movie? No. No. In in doing some research for this list, I I, I it popped up a little bit of uh, because you do have, I mean that opening scene is well that's really about all the Holocaust Holocausty it gets. Um, but uh, is that a word? It is now. Holocaust. <laughs> Holocaustian. Um, I don't know. But um, but that the whole Shoshana kind of storyline there you could say is is uh relates to the holocaust i don't know i think i think it sounds like the pianist or sophie's choice uh, that that kind of was the consensus as we were going through titles so what are we going with i would personally say the pianist even though sophie's choice is a powerful movie but sophie's choice is also quite a bit about uh the events happening after the Holocaust. It's very much about Sophie living in Brooklyn in 1950. It's certainly about survivors of the Holocaust, but to actually be there and see it firsthand and go through it. I mean, obviously there's a lot of backlash to Roman Polanski as a director, but uh, I love The Pianist. I think it, it was it was the film I would have voted for in 2002 of those nominees, and uh, I think it's actually held up pretty well, beside the Polanski aside, I guess. But now, now let, let's... I, we can think of it this way too. I, I agree with what you said, but if we think of it this way, of if you look at what we have so far, we have a film about those that run the holo- or run the the concentration camps and and were a part of it on on the administrative side, like uh, Schindler's List. We have a film about the people who were in the concentration camps in the gray zone, and then we have a film about the aftermath of the Holocaust in Judgment at Nuremberg. So if we want to like signify different touchstones in history, Sophie's Choice would be looking at the life of survivors of the Holocaust. So if we want to look at it that way, Sophie's Choice would make sense. However, I agree. I probably think The Pianist is a better movie than Sophie's Choice. I'd be okay with either of them. I think they're comparable to each other. They're both... Oh yeah, among the two hundred greatest movies of all time, I, I'm I'm okay with either one of them. Yeah, the the pianist is is but an amazing Sophie's movie. Choice does have one of the best performances that has ever been given. It <laughs> and, and the reveal in Sophie's Choice is like iconic. one iconic and one of the most like jaw dropping like heart sinks to your stomach moments I've ever had watching a movie. All right, let's go with Sophie's Choice then. Why not? Okay. Done. <laughs> I feel bad leaving it. And honestly, it's more it's it's kind of like recency bias for me because I just saw Sophie's Choice for the first time within the last year, and so and it's been probably ten years since I've seen The Pianist. But um, I, yeah, I'm okay with either. But like, yeah, let's do Sophie's Choice. Sophie's tell, Choice. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was just gonna say you can tell us if we're wrong. Uh, on on Twitter afterwards, but uh, that's what we're gonna go with. I think you're. I mean, sh- not having show on the list is inexcusable, but you haven't seen it. See it. Yeah. It's it, it's worth ten hours of your life. Ebert left it off his uh, best of the year list. 
Yeah, do you know why? He actually talked about that. Out, out of respect. Yeah, out of respect. He, he even mentioned that on the Best of 85 show with, Sis, with Siskel, who put it as his number one of 85. Yep. <laughs> it's like having Fargo on our power rankings. Just You just excuse it. It's, exactly. It would exactly. always be on your list. Um, so if, that, if that's worth 10 hours of my life, Band of Brothers is worth 10 hours of yours, Zach. I'm just gonna throw that. Oh, well, out there. It, so- it sounds like we're we're upping the game if uh, one of us uh, loses uh, trivia to the other. Man, okay, uh, get that'd ready. be that'd be that'd be a little eight a seasons little... of Dexter. Yeah, eight <laughs> seasons. <laughs> I don't think I could survive that. <laughs> oh, once you get into it, you'd be able to. All right. Anyways, uh, so our Mount Rushmore of Holocaust movies, we have Schindler's List, The Gray Zone, Judgment at Nuremberg, and Sophie's Choice. It's an unconventional think... list. It is. Well, we're we're an unconventional podcast, so it uh it, it fits. It fits. And speaking of unconventional, let's get into our power rankings. <laughs> you can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Um, and uh, let's look at uh, what we're gonna be talking about today here, because this is. This is a bit of a crazy list. I love this list, but also it was, I found it impossible to come up with, with my list. Uh, so, Todd, first, tell us what our, uh, what our point totals were, and who won last time, and who is, uh, and so they can tell us what our topic is. Okay, the, uh, victory count so far, I have 14, Terry has 11, and Zach last time got his 10th win to cut the lead and a nudge closer to my lead that I'd once looked insurmountable. <laughs> yeah, you haven't won in a while, have you? No, I haven't. Wow. Yeah, but now we're all in double digits, and, uh, and we're going to see how this goes. Zach, tell us what we're talking about today. Uh, well, the, the category this time is in honor of both uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, and to a certain extent, Joker. We're looking at characters from movies or TV shows that we would like to see a spinoff of, uh, of on their own. Um, the only exceptions to this list were Marvel or DC movies, because I feel like, you know, there's already, you know, there's in the works already so many movies about these various characters' mythologies. So, you know, like Breaking Bad, like uh, El Camino is the story of Jesse Pinkman after the events of Breaking Bad, his own movie, we want to know about characters um, who, nece- who weren't necessarily front and center of the movies they were in who we'd like to see spinoffs of. Yeah. Uh, I think basically what you said, you said uh, no no comic books. So that expands a little further than DC and Marvel, but... Um, okay, I, I, okay, I said that. All right. Yeah, you, you did, you did. Well, okay. I don't, no, he did not say that, I don't, that, I don't that think was kind I of the way I that, took it. Did he say okay. that? I don't know, I don't know. I thought it was just I, Marvel or DC, if I remember I, my, myself correct. but I, I, I yeah, kind of just took Marvel it as I, I was going to do everything I could to stay well, away hey, from franchises. I, I, I hate comic book movies, so I'm fine with that. None of mine Except are you will give all of them a positive rating. Except Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. no. Alright, well, Zach, <laughs> I'm going to start with you first. So, okay. uh, so tell us, uh, tell us what we're doing, or where are you going? Okay, so, uh, you know, I, I tried to look at characters who uh, stood out in some way or another because they uh, 
they maybe dominated a scene they were in. I like to think of these characters as like sixth men in a basketball game who come off the bench and just nail threes and then come back on the bench and have, you know, two minutes of greatness. And uh, the first character for me is the, uh, from Silence of the Lambs and, uh, you know, which has many, many great characters. And I'm going with none other than Hannibal Lecter's great cellmate, Multiple Migs. Now, Multiple Migs, if you remember correctly, is a patient at the hospital and uh, he's pretty crazy and um he says some things to jodie foster that are pretty uh terrible um i want to know about multiple uh, migs's life because hannibal lecter calls him crazy and um you know he seems to be kind of like gyrating like a monkey around his jail cell and uh he has very good a very good sense of smell he's almost like the james mcavoy character in split <laughs> um yeah so multiple migs movie maybe james mcavoy as multiple migs i can see it Wow. Okay. Beautiful. I'm realized. I I know. I knew this was gonna happen. And the, the, <laughs> this we're all taking this in such completely different ways, and there's no way that any of these are gonna overlap. And because we're all gonna come up with ones like, man, I never even thought of that. And yeah, and, and you could. I I agree with part of what you said. Doing a a movie about Migs, you could say it's already been done, and that is split. But um, pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Todd, I'm going to you next. Number five. All right. Well, not not even close to the same kind of thing as Zach, but uh, I went with, uh, from one of my favorite shows, Prison Break, I went with Teabag Bagwell. <gasps> I love it. We get, we get sort of a glimpse of to what, what he does after the events of Prison Break when he was in Breakout Kings. Uh, but he he's just a fascinating villain. The first moment he appears on the screen, he's just so absolutely evil, but also, like, awkward. It, and his development throughout the story, or throughout the throughout the show, is, uh, it turns him into someone you actually begin to kind of understand. Even when he's, like, left for dead with one hand, you kind of feel, you wish that he would still continue on with, like, Mahone and Lincoln and Michael. I... I, I, I feel like I would like to see a sequel, like, post-killing Poseidon at the end of season four or five whatever the last season that they just came out with recently was but i mean he he probably would have a fourth or fifth escape and i also kind of want to see what actually brought him to prison in the in the first place it could be multiple layers to an entire mini series type thing about teabag he is one of my favorite tv villains ever how have i still not seen that new season i i don't know why didn't you not watch it when it was on i don't know (laughs) you're watching uh, band of brothers all 10 hours of it oh gosh Maybe maybe we should make Zach watch the first two episodes of Prison Break if he if he loses next time. That I mean, that'd be cool. Well, and 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 pr- unlike Dexter, Prison Break is one that you're immediately invested in, like from the first episode. You get into it, and then is Teabag in the first episode? Yeah, yes. yeah he's a, he's in like every he, episode. Yeah, he he is like one of the greatest like. TV but the show's villains. not about him. No. No. So he needs but he kind of forces himself into being a main character. Yeah, he's the, he's the main antagonist other than the guards in the first season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and yeah, he, he is like the ultimate scrappy survivor. That would be an awesome, awesome movie. Okay. Uh, number five for me. So as I was going through this, I thought this was going to be an impossible list to make. And then after I went, like, I just kind of went through all the movies and stuff that I've seen and started brainstorming, I came up with a huge list, and then I couldn't come up with 
it was so hard to just narrow it down to five. So I did, um, and one of the things I did, along with coming up with the five, I also came up with what the movie's title would be. Um, oh, be- because that's awesome. Well, because <laughs> nice so many of them, I'm like, okay, oh, oh, this would be a cool spinoff if they do this with it. And, and this would be a cool spinoff if they do this with it. Because another thing is, there's a lot of spinoffs that suck. Like, really, really bad. And like so, Joey? Joey, I'm Evan Almighty. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I mean, there's all these spinoffs that are just horrible. But but for every Joey, there's a Frasier. So, I mean, you, you can do it right if you know what you're doing. Anyways, so number five on my list, uh, I am going with a spinoff movie about, uh, uh, oh, where's his name? There it is. Bertram Grover Weeks from The Sandlot. So the last thing, so we, The Sandlot is a great movie, and and all these kids playing baseball, and then at the end of the movie, they do this, they do this, here's what happened to them afterwards, and with Bertram, they say, Bertram got really into the 60s, and no one ever heard from him again. So my spinoff would be Bertram's story of what happened in the 60s, and the title of the movie would be Really Into the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> it's original. <laughs> And and it would tell us. I thought us, it was the 70s. Was it the 70s? I thought it was the 60s. <coughs> well, whatever decade it was. <laughs> well, whatever. It doesn't matter. We changed the title of the movie. Yeah, the title of the major thing. But I want to. I want to see what happened to Bertram. I want to see where he that, went and what happened to him and his uh, California Angels hat with the halo. So uh, I'm going. He had to have ended up in Vietnam. That, that's a great choice, though. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going a spinoff movie on Bertram from the Sandlot. That's my number five. Yeah, we have. That is as far ranging of a three choice as we could possibly have mentioned. In the row, so. I love it. I love it. This is going to be awesome. All right, Zach, number four. Well, I love Terry's idea. I love it so much that I'm I'm going to come up with movie titles too. Um, okay, so my number four character uh, is a, plays a little bit more prominent of a role than multiple Migs. Um, so it's not going to be just characters like that. Uh, but it, he's also an antagonist. A lot of villains on this list. I think it plays nicely into villains. Although he's not really the villain of this movie, but he's just a, a, a coked out weirdo. And his name is Rahad Jackson, and he's played by Alfred Molina in, in Boogie Nights. <laughs> I want to know more about this character, you know. Oh, and the name the name of the movie that that he would have would be Come On You Puppies because when he uh is talking to uh, you know, um uh, Dirk Diggler and Chest Rockwell about the dr- drug deal, you know, I I want to know about uh the bathrobe. I want to know about the 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 rocket launcher or bazooka whatever he has. Um, I want to know about Cosmo. I, I want to know more than the fact that he's Chinese. Um, and I just want to know about uh, his, his decadent lifestyle. And uh, we know quite a bit about his fondness for uh, J- Jesse, uh, or, uh, Jesse's girl, uh, Ricky Springfield. Um, the body. And uh, I just want to know so much about him. Um, and Alfred Molina would have to play him. And uh, maybe we could do the CGI thing, make him look quite a bit younger. Um, and uh, I, who wouldn't watch that movie? I mean, that's, that's it, it, wonderful. Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Come on, you puppies. That's gold. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Again, one that I would have never even thought of. Never even popped into my head. All right. Todd, number four. 
So for this list, I, I realized like there was this list I was gonna like write a while back that was like the TV movie characters that I most want to hang out with, and that's kind of the way I ended up thinking about this list. So I just kind of included a lot of those in there. So my number four is Fenster and McManus from The Usual Suspects. <laughs> like, like their friendship is one of the strangest things in the movie, but it's also really kind of irreplaceable at the same time. Like, I mean, obviously they die, so we need to be a prequel. And uh, I, I want to imagine like what how like what they were like at their peak. It'd be, I, I think of it as almost like a Vega Brothers type of like feel to like this like a, a prequel movie about Fenster McManus. Like I mean, Stephen Baldwin is his best character by far, and then but Niso del Toro is so bizarre. Like is that the one about the hooker with the dysentery? Like <laughs> just like I mean, it's almost to the point of parody, but it's beautiful. And uh, I want to see what the, I want to see what they were like and how they became buddies and like the the crime world at the time and a drop into their lives would be amazing and uh i don't know i just want to you know flip it flip it for real flip it for real that's my, that's that, my four that's a good one that's a good one uh yeah i noticed on mine too i did ended up doing a lot of uh a lot of prequels too uh, of yeah this mm-hmm. could be a good spin-off if it was a prequel and that's actually what my number four is so my number four is uh coming from something that we've already talked about several times mm-hmm. And uh, and that is Dexter. My prequel is I want to see what it was like when Dokes and Laguerta were partners on the beat, um, and uh, and do a whole oh, okay. show about Dokes and Laguerta because I love Dokes and I just want to see more Dokes. And uh, so Dokes and Laguerta on the beat. I'm I'm calling it Before the Butcher, and uh, and going going with that as as my title and see a show about about Dokes and Laguerta and where that where the the adventures would take them. I had to throw Dexter in that, there. That would be awesome. I know. Well, I know. I, uh, like uh, Trisha was actually saying earlier today that like I, I should include Hannah McKay and her boyfriend as like the the Bonnie and Clyde type people they were before like before way before the show started. You know. Before oh, okay. Hannah McKay is like my least favorite Dexter character. Like as soon as she was introduced, I I was like this this story is having some issues now. I hate or you could see what her, her and Harrison are doing in Argentina. Like, how, I, how the hell that uh, went. <laughs> anything, anything that relates to the last episode of that just needs to disappear <laughs> off the face of the earth. Alright. Zach, you have no idea what we're talking about. But yeah, that was, a, that was fabulous two minutes of radio that's, right that's, that's like every time you guys deep dive on, on which line of dialogue from your favorite Breaking Bad episode is the best. <laughs> so... Well, with, <laughs> What would the name of that movie be about dokes and whatever? Or, I said before the butcher. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, before the butcher. Yeah, that totally fits. Well, no, no. So, 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 what you didn't, what you haven't gotten to yet is at some point they discover they they find like a lot of the bodies that that Dexter has has disposed of, and so they investigate the Bay Harbor butcher. That's what they call him. Jesus, so. Spo- a spoiler alert would have been nice there, Terry. That's I mean, not really a spoiler. <laughs> and you also spoiler. pretty much said that Dokes dies. <laughs> I didn't say that. Saying, I you didn't said say it has that. to be a prequel. <laughs> well, spoiler alert. There's more than just that. Anyways, <laughs> and it would, yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Zach. He's not the only okay. one that dies. <laughs> Jeez, Terry. <laughs> other people die. I mean, it's about a serial killer. How else is how is not other people not gonna die? Anyways, Zach, number three. <laughs> All right, num- number three would also be another prequel. Um, 
And uh, it would be the prequel of the character of Billy Mack in Love Actually, played memorably by Bill Nahy. Um, I want to know about Billy Mack's life. Um, He talks about being an ex-cocaine addict, and uh, he had uh, apparently a lot of amorous adventures when he was a rock star. Um, But he has always remained steadfast and loyal to his uh, assistant Chubbs. So I think there would be some, like, it's definitely like some Bohemian Rhapsody elements in there, but also like a loving male bonding relationship movie, a la like Sideways or Zorba the Greek, and um, yeah, lo- lots of drugs, lots of uh, lots of pop music. I guess kind of like maybe maybe we can have it with the Ray Had Jackson movie. <laughs> can create your own like a uh, extended universe. Yeah, where Ray Had Jackson and Billy <laughs> Mack hang out. Didn't and didn't it would, they make? Didn't they make a sequel spinoff of Love Actually recently? I think it was like uh, by uh, the the same premise, like every Christmas movie now. No, but I think I think it, it legit was like updating some of the characters. That's I don't know, not, not awesome. that I know of. I thought I read something about that. The movie would be called Christmas is All Around, because that's the only title it could be possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well played. I like that one. I like that one. All right, Todd, number three. Uh, for my number three, I went with uh, my favorite sitcom of all time, Arrested Development, and I went with Maybe Fuque. Uh, so season four took like an, a unique approach. It had like uh, every episode was uh, telling the same story, but like from a, the perspective of all of each different character. Because Maybe is definitely a side character, and so she's off screen a lot during the the bulk of the show. But she was always my favorite character, her, along with uh, Michael Sarah's George Michael. And so the couple episodes that featured maybe as main character were amazing. She's and Aaliyah Shawkat is just irresistible in, in like showing her and her awkward relationship with George Michael and her trying to get into like the film industry and stuff. I w- watching her through even throughout the timeline of the show but like focusing more on what the hell she's doing all this time would be awesome because she she's one of my favorite tv characters and i think it's yeah it is the best sitcom ever at least live action i have yet to see a single episode of arrested development i've seen the first couple seasons i like that pick she's one of the best parts of that show yeah isn't like the narrator ron howard yep he he he's in the movie, in the show too like, a few times, playing himself and not himself. Kind of weird. Okay. Uh, my number three. Uh, let's see here. I just realized I don't have the character's name. Well, it's kind of. A, <laughs> it's always a good. Well, part. no, no, it's uh, I I. It's kind of. Yeah. It's it's kind of complicated. You don't Anyways, know the character's name. You don't know if he's in the sixties or seventies. Uh, you know, <laughs> lot, well researched. Um. Yeah, oh goodness. I'm gonna. Anyways, I'll just go without it. It's fine. Um, but my this one is is a little bit of a different a different tone. It's a slightly different take. I I love history. I'm a huge history buff, and so my um my number three would be entitled The Lost Flag Raiser, and it would be a spinoff from Flags of Our Fathers. Um, because Flags of Our Fathers is a great movie, Clint Eastwood, about the uh, the guys who, uh, who raised the famous flag at Iwo Jima, and how some of them come back and, and uh, try to strike up war bonds for the country and things like that. 
Um, but one of the things that had, that came out as a result of that movie is doing research for it. Uh, some of the research led them to believe that one of that some of the uh, the people in the photograph were misidentified. And actually, just a couple years ago, um, a documentary came out about how um, the character or the 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 um, the soldier Doc Bradley, who is played by Ryan Phillippe in the movie Flags of Our Fathers, actually wasn't in the photograph. Uh, he was he had been misidentified, and um, which kind of makes sense if you think about the movie and his character and how he never really wanted the notoriety for for being a hero. It's because he actually wasn't in that picture. He raised the first flag, not the second flag, and that meant that throughout this entire time, someone raised that flag that history completely forgot and um i would love a movie a spin-off movie about that guy and the life he lived as a war hero that nobody knew actually was a war hero um and i think i think it'd be it'd be a really cool movie there's the documentary i watched about this we really know very very little about this guy in general so um trying to explore kind of what his life was like and uh and how you know war heroes can be anonymous uh, i think would be a really really cool movie so that that's what i'm going with the lost uh the lost flag raiser that would be cool it, it it's com- taking a completely different tone on this list but when i was looking through possibilities and i saw flags of our fathers i said that that's a story that would be a spin-off of this that hasn't been told. That would be really, really cool. So, that's what I'm going with. All right. Zach, number two. All right, number two on my list is, uh, I would, uh, we didn't, I, I deliberately left the idea of spin-offs sort of open-ended. My number two character I wouldn't want an entire movie about. I could only really take him in small snippets. And that character is uh, Buck Laughlin, played by Fred Willard in uh, Best in Show. And I wouldn't want a spinoff of him in a movie. I would want him to be the commentator for sports events. Um, so, you know, in uh, Best in Show, he is the color commentator for the uh, Mayfield Dog Kennel uh, competition. And um, he's pretty hilarious in the movie. He talks about, uh, you know, which one of these dogs would you want to have as a wide receiver on your team he talks about uh you know and to think some of these dogs are eaten are, are eaten in the world and he talks about uh i'd hate to go on a date with judge Edie franklin and have her judge me that'd be no fun um he clearly is out of his element as a color commentator and he makes great juxtaposition with the dapper british uh play-by-play commentator um this is fred willard's best role i think uh he'd be awesome uh Put going on uh, actual uh, football games and well really I think he has been on like the dog kennel show thing for real but uh, I'd, I'd love to see more of that character but not like actually I don't really care about the character I just want to see him he'd be the Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football exactly far more entertaining than De- Dennis Miller uh, all right Todd. Uh, my number two, I went with uh, a genre. It would be a genre that I would, I definitely love, which is cop movies. So I went with Officer Slater and Officer Michaels from Superbad. Oh, good ones. Which is obviously Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. I think it would be the most hilarious buddy cop movie ever. Uh, you get moments where you see them sort of like, just like their banter and like them following their daily misadventures and 
getting drunk and talking about their old war stories. I, I, w- I would spend two hours with them. I would spend a whole TV series with them. I, I think it'd be awesome just watching them, like, patrolling the streets of L.A. And, like, I, you don't get a lot of cop TV show comedies, necessarily. I, I think that if, if, if for some reason Seth Rogen and Bill Hader were at a point where they wanted to do a buddy cop TV show, I, I, that, I'd, be, I'd be there. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That'd be good. The real question is, who would play Officer Slater's wife? Or ex-wife. She was a whore. <laughs> <laughs> Malin Ackerman. <laughs> or maybe Jessica... How about Jessica Hecht? She'd be perfect. She, we, we know she can play ex-wives pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, clearly. All right. Uh, number two on my list. One of the things as I was going through this, I mean, you're looking for... You're looking for those memorable supporting characters, right? And as I was going through, I was thinking, you know, this really could have easily just turned into, like, most spin-offable characters from the Coen brothers, or most spin-offable characters from Tarantino, or, uh, or, oh, what was the other one I was thinking? Oh, um, uh, oh, there was another one. What was the other one I was thinking? I can, uh, I completely lost it. Anyways. But there, there are those couple, those couple directors that write such good supporting characters that um, that's like well, it easily could have just been a list of them, and this is the one that that popped onto my list. So I want to see, I want to see the prequel of uh, the Vietnam War experience of Walter Sobchak from uh, <laughs> from The Big Lebowski, <laughs> and obviously it would be called Out of Your Element. Yeah, um, of course. And uh, and see what I would love, what I would love. What I, which would make it so great is if he was like, if he was like, uh, like some desk job guy, like he was like the assistant to the assistant of Robin Williams' character in Good Morning Vietnam, and then like pulled out of there to go to to go like cover a battle or something, and all of his war stories he has in Big Lebowski are based off of you know this one moment where he had to go and like a bullet flew over his head. Um, I, I think that would just be hilarious, and it would totally fit with his insane character. But um, that's what I'm going with. I'm going with uh, Walter Sobchak's uh, Vietnam War experience from Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be that's the director awesome. on that? Francis Ford Coppola, maybe? <laughs> uh, Taika Waititi. <laughs> mm. Nice. And he uh, he would also play Ho Chi Minh. Yes, or exactly. Imagine version exactly. of him. Okay, I like it. <laughs> All right, Zach. Number one. Okay, number one for me is a tie. I, I I have to go with it. It's sort of the reason why I came up with this list. Uh, these are two characters from a movie that um, I I love the movie, but I really just watch it for them. Um, and uh, I I think one of them is a little like Todd, but not really. They are the characters of Barry and Dick from High Fidelity, played memorably by Todd Luiso and Jack Black, respectively. Um, Barry and Dick are the employees at uh, Rob, played by John Cusack, his record store in Chicago. And as Rob tells us, uh, he hired these guys a few years ago to work part-time, and then they just started showing up because um, they really have nothing else to do in their life. 
Um, and uh, the banter between them is just uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, Dick is this very, like, sort of forlorn, quiet, introverted, like, encyclopedia of pop music. And um, he kind of stammers a little bit. He goes over to Rob's house and talks about uh, the way that he orders uh, records uh, semi-autobiographically. And then it's a total contrast to Barry, who's, you know, this total Jack Black character, you know, just uh, comes in dancing, turns on uh, I'm Walking on Sunshine. The banter between those three characters, it's something magical. I don't know why this never was a spinoff. I think it would have made an incredible, like, CBS sitcom in the early 2000s. Obviously, Jack Black has gone on to bigger and better things, but uh, I feel like it's it's a little reminiscent of the banter on our uh, podcast every once in a while. Um, it, I think the title of it would be the Almost Sideways Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so wait, are you just saying that that we are them? Yeah, sure. We are they? Yeah, I think I'm a little like Rob. You're a little like uh, Barry, and Todd's a little like like Dick. So wait, wait, does that make you Cusack or me Cusack? No, I'm Cusack. Are you kidding? I'm Cusack. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you nuts? <laughs> who's more likely to walk in on a Monday and, tr- and blast, I'm walking on sunshine? And that who's more funny. likely to wear a sweater and be depressed and miserable and smoke a cigarette? I mean, Well, okay, you know. okay, yeah, yeah, you're, you're definitely the, the latter in that, in that case. And I would and be I'm the one. And I'm Todd. <laughs> yeah. So, that's why I'm... Because his name is Todd. Well, the actor's name. <laughs> And you would arrange your 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 movies autobiographically, I'm sure. Although technically that's what Rob does, but I would do that too. Oh my word! <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. Oh man. Yeah, we we should just change we should just change this to the High Fidelity podcast and and go with that. Yes. I love it. They they do top fives all the time. I mean, they're, they're the whole basis of this podcast to a large degree, except you know music. Except, you wow. know. Well, yeah. Yeah. I dig music. Okay. Todd, <laughs> mm. you're number one. All right. Uh, for me, it was kind of obvious, and it's almost cheating, because there might actually be one of these, but I went with Worm from Rounders, because I love Ed Norton, and like, Worm is a mesmerizing character, and I, he doesn't think before he speaks. He's an amazing card mechanic. I, I want to know what got him thrown in prison. I want to know what it was like <laughs> when him and Mike were growing up, and how he got, uh, he took a beating for oh. Tommy Manzi's mother, and, like, I, I want to know, like, I want to see him balancing his card games and, like, and, like, bribing the guards in prison, and I want to see where he goes when it's highway time after they, after they get beat up and, uh, by the cops and have all their money taken. I, all these things would be a dream to watch. I want to know what the hell is going on with Worm. I want to, I want to see his backstory. I want to see what happens after Rounders. And if Ed Norton was ever uh, wanting to do a, a long form of that character, then I I mean that would be the number one thing I want to see. I love Rounders, and I love Worm. That's my number one. That's good. That's good. I like it. Uh, all right, number one on my list, it's... I don't know. It's kind of cheating, but I'm, I don't really care. I'm going with it. Because um, it's like the one like spinoff, you could say it's a spinoff, that I've always like wanted and longed for. Um, I One of my favorite um, uh, miniseries of all time is the John Adams miniseries with Paul Giamatti. And after I watched it, one of the first things I thought of is 
they need to do one of these for every president. I mean, how cool would that be to have just like that that dramatic retelling of every president's story? So that's what I'm saying. They they need to make a, a movie or miniseries about the life and time, mainly probably miniseries because it it works better that way. But the life of times of every president. So it's a spinoff because you've got you've got what three or four other presidents that show up in the John Adams miniseries. You've got George Washington. You've got Jefferson. You've got um, John Quincy Adams by the end of it. Um, but yeah, that that's what I want to see. I want to see a a, a miniseries made. A historical miniseries about every president. It it kind of it it's not as fun as all the other stuff, but man, that would be the coolest thing ever as a history nerd that I am. Well, yeah, like so many of them have like almost n no common knowledge about them. So yeah, you would see something about like James Tyler or something. <laughs> it's John Tyler, dude. John Tyler. <laughs> James Tyler. I think James. I don't know. Maybe fact, James Taylor. Okay. Fun fact, John, John Tyler, our 10th president, has a grandson still alive. Well, I think that's because John Tyler was the biggest stickman president. He had, like, 25 kids. Yeah, and his last one he had when he was, like, 68. And then his kid had a kid when he was, like, 68. And that kid he has, was, like, 80. He has to be the top five of stickman presidents. Obviously, JFK is number one, but John Tyler makes a solid run at number two. Maybe number three behind Calvin Coolidge, but... Apparently, people know about John Tyler. <laughs> I just know about presidents. <laughs> All right. Uh, Zach, do you have any honorable mentions? Oh, do I? Uh, <laughs> well, Terry sort of alluded to uh, the fact that the Coen brothers and Tarantino are, are so, so well known for their side characters. I kind of try to stay away from them. You could think of every, almost every character in Fargo deserves its own movie. Um, particularly the Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi characters. I actually had Gear Grimsrud as a character on my list originally, but then I thought it's just too easy to put a Coen Brothers movie on there. Um, same with Bud from Kill Bill Volume Two. And you can't pick Fargo, so hey. Oh, of course we can't pick Fargo. I thought about Bud from Kill Bill Volume Two. I thought about Larry, the strip club owner. But gosh, do I have to mention him on every podcast? Uh, so, but I, I would so love to see that movie. I mean, absolutely. I'd want to see a movie about Cammy and her husband in from Sideways and their love life. Maybe kind of like Swedish Marriage Manual from Taxi Driver. Maybe I don't know, maybe up, up close like that. That would be fun. Um, I have two uh, film artists that I want to see more of. One is Frederick, the angry artist from Hannah and Her Sisters, played by Max von Sydow, who shouts a lot. And then the other artist is also an artist who shouts a lot. It's, it's the character of David Wark from Junebug, who shouts a lot about Antietam, and he breaks into to, to <laughs> baby showers and talks about his painting and glory. And yeah, if you, if you don't see the movie, you don't you don't understand that reference. But if you know Junebug, that you know, I, I you, you'd want to see that movie. I, I also want the Tabby Tibbins played by Christopher McDonald from Requiem for a Dream. He talks about his uh, weight loss. I, I want to see a fat version, then a slim version. Um, I like the jazz singer in Lost in Translation who Bill Murray sleeps with. I don't think she has a name, but I want to know more about her. Cher's driving instructor in Clueless, the messiah of the DMV. Uh, Bianca, the blow-up doll in Lars and the Real Girl would make a great subject. Um, I would also want to see uh, anyone other than Werner Herzog in a Werner Herzog documentary. Great side character. <laughs> And then nice. finally, uh, last but not least, the talking cars and holy motors. I think they deserve their own movie. <laughs> they made it. It's called Cars. <laughs> I suppose. Are the cars in Paris, though? At, and at they communicate point, through honking horns? At one point, they're in Paris, I think. I don't know. Cars 2 is kind of a blur. Anyways. All right. Cars 2, holy motors. 
There you go. That, there that you go. Yeah, Should have been him. All right, Todd. Honorable mentions. Uh, the one I really felt bad about leaving off because I kind of thought about it too late was is Michael Lee from The Wire, who is like he's like a kid who like really swiftly moves up the crime uh, organization to being almost like a boss in like really quick order, and he is like total Michael Corleone type and really quiet assassin kind of thing. He is awesome, and I really wanted to talk about him, but I decided to leave him off because I know you guys don't watch the show. Uh, I also, of course, had the one that I thought was obviously going to be on everyone's list, which is Witterson from Days to Confused. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how you... That's a good one. Uh, uh, also, Todd Chavez from BoJack Horseman, which is played by Aaron Paul, which is just ridiculous. The most recent seasons actually have a lot more of him in it, because I think everyone just knows that he's awesome. I also ha- I thought of uh, Zed from Police Academy 2. Like, I want to know... Like, I want to actually watch him be the... Or, like, the the leader of that huge crime organization. Like, I, 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 like, I don't care about him when he becomes a cop. I want to see what it was actually his day-to-day life that actually got him to be the, the head of a crime organization. Bob I also Cat thought about... Plate, I mean... <laughs> Bobcat, he's, he's amazing. Uh, Frank Mercer from, uh, in Matchstick Man. I, 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 I kind of want to know what he... After he ripped off Roy, I want to know what he did after that. I kind of want to see him in his prime. Similarly, I want to I want to watch Frank William Abagnale Sr. Like uh, I want to watch him when he was younger. Good call. As a, as a con man. Also, I mean, there's uh, Nichols Cage characters I want to see. Donald Kaufman, of course. I want to spin off just Donald. <laughs> yes. And oh, Eddie from great. Downfall, because for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that should that should have been my number one. I completely <laughs> I forgot about that movie. That should have been my number one. That's it. There's you, there's no better pick than that. I thought for sure that would have crossed your mind, Zach. I completely you, you were obsessed with that, that in your review. <laughs> oh man, did I space that out? Wow, wow. Uh, Are you gonna be a nice to the baby or not? Are you gonna take the baby's money? Sorry, okay. <laughs> that, that that would be a movie I would I would go cross country to see on barefoot. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So uh, before I do my honorable mentions, I found the name. His name is Harold Schultz. That was the the, the lost flag raiser. So, uh, yeah, and he wasn't identified until June of 2016. So like I'm talking like this like just happened, and it was because so he technically wasn't in the movie. No, no. Well, I he he was probably he was one of the extras that was up there, but no, he wasn't actually nice. Yeah, and uh, and it was as they were doing the movie and trying. They were examining the picture and trying to get like the uniforms right, and they went, "Wait a second, that's not a medic." And they were, and Doc Bradley was a medic, so like, how he's not in this picture. So then they had to do all this investigating to try and find which one actually was. So, um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, so my honorable mentions. Uh, the one I felt the worst about leaving off that I think would be really interesting um, would be. Uh, some sort of spin-off that uh, takes Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs and in a couple years takes him down this path that leads him to being the Buddy Holly waiter in Pulp Fiction. Like, combine the two together in this spin-off movie. And, yeah, I think that would be interesting. Um, uh, let's see here. What were some of the other ones? Uh, I'd love to see a spin-off movie of Kirk Lazarus from Tropic Thunder. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that character too. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of characters from that movie. Uh, the other one, the other filmmaker I was thinking that has great supporting characters is Judd Apatow. 
Um, and so I was thinking, mm. like, okay, this would be, like, a spinoff of a spinoff, but take, like, the two Apatow daughters that are, like, the daughters in, like, every Apatow movie. Like, there were the daughters in Knocked Up that became the daughters in This Is 40. Now just do a spinoff of just them. Like, Maude Apatow's into actually a legitimate actress now, so, like, make a spinoff of... And you could even call it, like, This Is 20 or something. I don't know. Um, I think that was Euphoria. <laughs> She's in Euphoria, She's in right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's why he said that. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then I want to see a I want to see a spinoff prequel of uh, of the the early life teenage to twenties years of Hans and Simon Gruber from uh, Die Hard and mm. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, that's a good one. Up. That's a great pick. Yes, um, I would watch that. I, I want to see um, I want to see the aftermath and spinoff of Mark Ruffalo's character from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as he continues to erase other people's minds in the fallout of this one going horribly wrong. Um, I want to see a reunion of the School of, School of Rock Band. Um, Todd mentioned Wooderson, but I want to see the spinoff of uh, of Goldberg and Rap from Dazed and Confused. It was called A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, I know, I know. That, 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 it, it did get made. I, I mentioned that already. Um, Todd mentioned um, Zed from Police Academy. I want to see what uh, Commandant Lassard was like when he was a legitimate cop and how he was basically like Mr. Magoo. Um, this is a great, this is a great poll here. I want to see a spinoff movie of the Nyborgs from Glengarry Glen Ross and just watch an entire movie of people who love to talk to salesmen. Um, I think that's all I've got here. <laughs> um, uh, the last one is I want to see, oh, here's the last one for you. I want to see a movie of, uh, of Danger Barch from, uh, uh, Million Dollar Baby played by, uh, Jay oh, Baruchel. Jay Baruchel. Yes. I want to see. I want to see a movie of of him and his uh, his rise to being the uh, the the welterweight or lightweight featherweight champion of the world. Welterweight. Yeah. Dangerous Diller and Bam Bam Farge. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm ready to take on Thomas the Hitman Hearns. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, that, that's you touch this pen. <laughs> Other movie. <laughs> Wrong movie. Sorry. Wrong movie. <laughs> Okay, uh, alright, now time for our game. And this is, like, the biggest, like, crapshoot shot in the dark we've ever had on this. Yeah. Because, as you can tell, none of us had any idea where we were going with it, and so now we've got to try and figure out where Adam went with this. So, uh, yes, Adam Daly, who is one of our Almost Sideways contributors, has done all sorts of different stuff online. Uh, he is, we always try to guess what his power rankings are of our list. And yeah, we have no clue, but we're going to do the best we can here. Uh, Zach, give me your top five. Uh, All right, well, he, al he always does one of those out of the, out of the you know, mainstream picks. So I'm going to say Ben Brown on the Almost Sideways podcast, because he was once <laughs> on our podcast. That would be it's, his favorite spinoff. Okay, okay. Uh, um, number four, John Fitzgerald, played by Tom Hardy in The Revenant. Number three, Esmeralda the Cab Driver from Pulp Fiction. Number two, The Pharaoh and the Ten Commandments, because I know he's randomly seen and enjoyed the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and number yes. one, C-3PO and R2-D2. Wow, okay. 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 All right, Todd. Uh, number five, I, I said some Game of Thrones character. I don't know <laughs> the characters, so it's going to be one of them, I think. Oh, number man. Number four... I have Les Grossman from Tropic Thunder. Oh, Number that's a three, good one. Boba Fett from Star Wars. Number two, Mr. Miyagi. And number one, Dignam from The Departed. 
Is it? Yeah, it I mean, the Mandalorian isn't that basically the Boba Fett spinoff? Kind of. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Disney Plus comes out on Tuesday, um, and I think Mandalorian is going to be on it when it debuts. Anyways, whatever. All right, uh, my my top five. I, there's actually one crossover, Todd. I have one that you had on your list. Uh, nice. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I know. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so number five, number five on my list is uh, this will actually be a decent one. Number five on my list is Marla and Nelson from A League of Their Own. Um, that, okay. Yeah. Number four is Dignum from The Departed. <laughs> nice. What's his favorite movie? It is. It is. Uh, number three is Sid from Toy Story. Oh, um, that's a good one. Isn't that a good one? Uh, number number two is uh, Marcellus Wallace, and more specifically, his soul from Pulp Fiction. And <laughs> and uh, number one, number one is uh, Felix Leiter from the Bond films. Who's that? He he's he's like the Jeffrey Wright character in the Daniel Craig ones. He's a oh, CIA okay. guy that Bond always works with. You really think that's gonna be none number of us one? are getting any right. <laughs> I don't know. The I, Ding, I think... Dingham's not a terrible pick. I... Game but... of Thrones is going to be mentioned. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> I, I also like I also like it, the, the the Sid pick. I think that's a that's a solid pick. That might be on there. Okay, so his honorable mentions here. He's got Darth Maul from Star Wars. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jaitman, what? Jaitam Manning, Daniel Kaluuya from Widows. Um, oh. It's so random. Yeah, uh, Ray Brower, aka the Body from Stand by Me. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good pick. That, that's all right. great. All right, Todd. Like Todd Sandor Clegane, aka the Hound from Game of Thrones. So there you oh. go. Oh, he's got a good honorable mention. Yeah. So that, that's a tiebreaker if if we all get zero. Uh, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, well, he's in. He's in Better Call Saul. That's. I mean. The Overlook okay. Hotel from The Shining. That's that's actually a pretty good one. Um, Officer Slater and Michaels from Superbad. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know when he actually said that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Jesus Quintana from The Big Lebowski. By the way, I heard that the Coens gave John Turturro the uh, go-ahead to actually explore a spinoff of Jesus from Big Lebowski. Yeah, I think there's actually an IMDb page for it now. Yeah. Okay. Here are his uh, his actual uh, top, his actual top five. Number five, uh, Drexel Spivey from True Romance or Stansfield uh, from The Professional. Either uh, both played by Gary Oldman. My favorite Oldman performances could have two totally different movies that would be amazing experiences. Uh, number four, The Trinity Killer, Dexter season four, played by John Lithgow. Nice. A pre-Dexter Dexter killer uh, could make for an, ama- an interesting movie. Seeing how he became this tormented person would make for a great character study. Uh, number three, Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. A scene stealer who truly deserves a spin-off, a really badass character that made the Mad Max question why the movie wasn't named after her instead. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Uh, number two, Bill and the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad from Kill Bill. Uh, seeing a film where a younger Bill starts off and recruiting his organization would be awesome. Also, seeing the squad in action again would be fantastic. And, I like that, of course. And number one... Oh, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, number one is uh, Stefan, played by Bill Hader in SNL. Uh, this film would have everything... <laughs> 
All the feels of a drama wrapped in an action movie. Amazing scenes like Terry having a fight club moment on Jamie Kennedy. What? <laughs> a hypnotic moment with Zack and Peter Simonashek getting drunk on Costco wine trying to convince Space Monkeys that Hamlet 2 is a direct sequel of Hamlet. <laughs> a ton of whiskey and Todd sculpting the cast of Boy Meets World out of cheese. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, and then he says, "Okay, real number one." <laughs> but that, <that's laughs> Stefan should be number one. That just owned us right there. He totally just owned yeah. us right there. Oh my word! Okay, number one is um, Ava, played by Alicia Vikander in Ex Machina. Just the mm. thought of her story continuing is an exciting thought. It could be brutal and thrilling. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually saying Stefan is his number yeah, one. Yeah, Stefan was better. That, man. Yeah, Fight Club moment with me and Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> Zach and Peter Simonashek drinking Costco wine, trying to convince Space Monkeys that Hamlet 2 is a direct sequel. <laughs> and that's, that's deep dive. That's, that's yeah, that's deep wow. Dive. Wow. He has, that is proof that he listens to every single one of our episodes. <laughs> he needs a life. Oh, Adam, if you're word. listening, there is help out there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not uh, the Red and Brown podcast. <laughs> if you if you need help, uh, contact us at, at uh, yeah. hashtag Ask Almost Sideways. Um, why why would I be sculpting them out of cheese? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of awesome to think about, but like <laughs> with a ton of whiskey too. I mean that of that course. was included, of course, of course. Oh man, that that's like the highlight of the Almost Sideways podcast right there is is Adam just owning us. I I don't read these beforehand and I totally should have read that before because it would have made it I would have been able to read it so much better. <laughs> oh man. Well, having to go I, like this. It, I think it is <laughs> I it is clear that Adam wins this this uh this I, contest. I think he gets so. the point. He should get like ten. No, I, I I at least had Game of Thrones. Like, you had I don't get the point. I haven't won in forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Todd gets the point for for one having Game of Thrones and two in his honorable mention he had one of Todd's picks. Like that is the only is thing really anywhere impressive. close to overlap that we had on anything. So I this is what I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna propose. Todd gets the point. Adam picks the topic. Yes, I love it. <laughs> the points are meaningless. It's, it's like whose line it's is like it anyway? Line is in anyway yeah. <laughs> no, the points the points are determining who wins, Todd. <laughs> this is a made up competition that we have created for ourselves. Don't take this. Yeah, one. you were you were getting nervous that we're catching up with you. You you'll take those points. You'll you'll appreciate them. Alright. Oh, even well, if they even if they are symbolic. <laughs> that was that was epic right there. I loved that. I loved every minute of that. I mean, think of all those hours of junk that he's listened to, you know? Like, that deserves... <laughs> I thought you were going to say, he, think of all the hours it took him to come up with that description. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember the Hamlet 2 thing. Like, what? 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 I mean, I remember it, but I don't remember what context it was. Oh, man. That's the least we can do to, to, to give him thanks for that. I mean, give oh. him his own power rankings. That, that was amazing. That that was good. That was good. Okay. Let's move on. All right. It's time to move on to our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. 
I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Before we get into trivia, our actual trivia game, which Zach is hosting tonight, uh, we have to talk about the movies that Zach forced us to watch. So, uh, let's see here. Todd, you go first. Alright, so Zach had me watch a movie called American Woman, directed by Jake Scott, who is the son of Ridley Scott. Uh, It's about a lady named Deborah, who is a 32-year-old single mother who lives with her daughter and grandson. Uh, She's played by Sienna Miller. She's like an irresponsible parent, uh, but she's still a younger lady who has no business really being a grandmother or having any responsibility necessarily. Uh, One day her daughter goes missing, leaving her to parent her grandson, and the details of her daughter's disappearance become like really foggy and sort of mysterious. The next decade or so is is what the bulk of the movie is about, about her... And her sister, played by Christina Hendricks, who uh, are struggling to raise a child and, like, uh, forgive and forget kind of thing. The movie uh, has a vibe that it's going to be, like, a depressing domestic drama, sort of like Frozen River or something. But the uh, tone kind of shifts after the disappearance happens. It becomes more like sharp objects without all the character development. It's definitely watchable, but... That just might be because the, the actors are so good. Like, Sienna Miller has rarely been this good. She's, like, early Elizabeth Shue kind of performance in this. She's really good. Aaron Paul and Christina Hendricks, obviously, I love watching, even outside of their AMC roles. Amy Madigan and uh, McCon Blair are both make appearances. It, it's, it's written by the guy who did Out of the Furnace, which actually makes a lot of sense because it is similarly watchable, but sort of, and has a lot of parallels in the storyline, but is kind of disappointing at the same time. The mystery plot, I feel like, is just kind of tacked on. Like, it, it, I, I feel like it's kind of crammed because it's trying to make you, like, feel for these characters, but also, like, focus on, like, the investigations. So, like, when that ends up coming up, it, like, ag- again, you just really don't necessarily care. I, it, it's, it's cool to watch the actors, but, I, I mean, I actually, I, do, I honestly don't know why Zach loves this movie so much. I, get, I mean, it's a two-and-a-half-star movie. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's fine, but the, the subplots just, I, I don't know if they all actually added up. Wow. You're way off, man. It's a great movie. This will be on my top ten of the year list, and the reason is simple, and that is Sienna Miller. I mean, she is extraordinary in this film. Like, the way she plays this character is riveting. She's funny. She's tragic. She goes through a transformation over the course of this movie that is underplayed. There's a tremendous amount of nuance and subtlety to this role. She nails the accent. She nails the the composure, the walk of that character. You can hear her. You can smell her she is unworldly in this movie it's one of the great performances of the decade and uh wow i i'm disappointed that you didn't you didn't love it the way that i did well i mean i love the performance that doesn't mean that the movie is as good around her but the movie is good i mean it's about how this tragic event in her life somehow has this effect of actually making her a better person and i think that's i think that's true for a lot of people i think it's a very relatable movie even though it kind of has a sort of you know melodramatic uh storyline or story structure but it's actually i think really relatable in a lot of ways um and i love the supporting performances too i think christina hendricks and aaron paul are, are fantastic in this movie as as per expected but this is this is this is the the best performance of the year i mean she will be my best actress no question yeah Terry, when you watch it and give it three stars, you know, in the middle. 
it's, it's bound like to happen. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, let's move on to what I had to watch. And this was a movie that, uh, Zach, I think you'd been trying to get me to watch. Well, no, you mentioned it for the first time, like right before we uh, did the last podcast that this mm-hmm. happened on. And then um, you assigned it to me. So I had to watch the 1994 film The Paper, uh, directed by Ron Howard, uh, starring... It had a big cast, actually. Michael Keaton, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid, Jason Robards, Jason Alexander, Catherine O'Hara, of course, Clint Howard, because... And Rance, and Blanche. Um, (laughs) Blanche Lovell. Now, what's her actual name? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but she's in it. Um, Jean, Jean Howard, I think. Jean, something like that. Um, anyways. Blanche. <laughs> There's a side character who needs her own movie. Blanche, yes. Blanche, Blanche Lovell. Blanche Lovell. <laughs> <laughs> and we could, it would be entitled Washing Machine Washing Machine, yeah. Yeah, the, the flying washing machine. <laughs> anyways, so this is a movie about um, a New York City paper... Uh, struggling kind of small-time paper, more of a, like a tabloid that's uh, that's trying to make it big, um, and uh, and what's what's more important, the the story, the tr- or the truth, and uh, and I really liked it. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Keaton is in his like classic late '80s, early '90s Michael Keaton form, um, doing his thing. Um, I didn't realize until I watched this just how much like ron howard and michael keaton had this connection through the 80s and 90s like between this and gung-ho which i remember like my mom and dad uh having on all the time when i was like seven um todd do you remember ever watching gung-ho with michael keaton i cannot say i do okay i i remember vaguely like it being on and watching parts of it uh, and then he had Night Shift with Ron Howard also, so, like, he, he made a decent amount of movies, but I don't think he's made one, like, since the paper with Ron Howard. So that needs to come back, is the connection between Ron Howard and Michael Keaton, because they're, they're, like, their tones really work well together. Um, I thought, uh, it was, it was really good. It was trying to do a little too much, like, there were a few too many subplots, that you don't really care about. I thought the whole, the whole pregnancy labor subplot with uh, with Marissa Tomei was a bit much. Some of the stuff that was going on with Glenn Close was a little bit too much. Um, uh, Randy Quaid's character was just insane. He was he was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, Robert Duvall's character, with all his like stalking his his long lost daughter, was went a little beyond what it needed to. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it. It was a really good movie. I'm giving it a solid three stars. Uh, like I said, if it had a little more focus, it could have been a great movie. Um, but I'm I'm giving it I'm giving it three stars. It was a good movie and uh, and yeah. I mean the, the those early mid '90s Ron Howard. I'm I'm not gonna say no to. So there you go. Yeah. I really like that movie. Um, uh, my favorite scene that I come back to a lot is uh, Robert Duvall's speech in that movie to Glenn Close where he talks about uh, the journalists in Spain and how they came across uh, Pablo Picasso. That's a great story. I, I, um, and it's just a really fun movie to watch. Very addictive. I agree. It's not a perfect movie. But the reason I, I selected it for you, Terry, was that it was Ron Howard's movie right before Apollo 13. And I think you can right. see a, a little bit of Apollo 13 in the movie. You can see it with the characters. You can see it with some of the camera movements and just the, I don't know, the overall feel of it feels very Apollo 13 at times. Are you, are you saying Fred Hayes was supposed to be played by Randy Quaid? 
I I think so. And <laughs> Blanche Lovell was was in it too, apparently. And and but. and how was Jim Lovell not played by Michael Keaton? I you know, or how was uh, the Michael Keaton character not played by Tom Hanks? Interchangeable. Or or why wasn't Fred Hayes played by Robert Duvall? Or not Fred Hayes. Um 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 what Gene Kranz? Goodness yeah. gracious. That that would have been perfect. The beer's yeah. getting to and, me. And and the Glenn Close character would have been the glum, Grumbling guys. <laughs> yes. Those guys need yes. their own movie. They could have made <laughs> the their Grumman great guys movies. need their own. They actually have their own part in From the, From the Earth to the Moon, the HBO miniseries that was made after Apollo 13. The Grumman guys have their own part as their as so their. They have, they've already had their own spinoff. They don't need. Yeah, designing the lem. Uh, yeah. But no, yeah, the paper was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, my my favorite scene was the scene in the bar, where you have the whole the whole struggle between Randy Quaid and Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander, yeah. Yeah, and they're they're fighting each other, and then and then the the gun goes off, and it um it hits Glenn Close in the leg through the wall, and and the best line in the movie, is is uh is she's laying there and she's like, why did the bullet come through the wall, and and Randy Quaid says to get to the other side. <laughs> that's funny i've forgotten that that's a good line it's it was the best line it's it's like the one if i can remember it like i watched the movie on like wednesday if i can remember it like five days later and it was the first time i'd seen i'd seen the movie then it's a good line anyways and i i disagree with you about marissa tomei too i, I love her character in that movie and and Catherine o'hara is a low-key best supporting actress nominee for me that year for okay that one she scene. i i love marissa tomei's character but the the subplot that that goes down and how it distracts from everything else that's going I disagree. on i thought disagree i didn't like completely. it completely i agree with you about the robert duvall subplot but but not the marissa tomei yeah that, that the robert great. duvall i'm dying of that, cancer that, that i unneeded. need to reconnect with my daughter yeah. that was completely unneeded yeah. All right, let's get to trivia. Let's do trivia. this. All right, pretty simple today. All we are looking at is the... F- we're going to have two lists, and you're going to see how they're related in just a second. The first list is, we're going to go back and forth, top ten movies that have won Best Picture with the longest running length, according to IMDb. And we're not talking about director's cuts. We're not talking about extended editions. This is the theatrical releases of the top ten Best Pictures with the longest running length. And uh, we're going to start with uh, Todd this time. Go for it, Todd. No writing down in advance. We're doing this. Let's go. Uh, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind is number one at 238 minutes. Good grief. Um, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur is number three at 212 minutes. Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence Arabia is number two at 228 minutes. By the way, this list is inspired by The Irishman coming out, which would be a top three movie on this list if it should win Best Picture this year. Titanic. Titanic is number seven at 194 minutes. Uh, The Godfather Part Two. The Godfather Part Two is number four at 202 minutes. Oh, great. Um... West Side Story? West Side Story is not on this oh. list. Uh, Todd, do you have another... It's got to be close. Uh, the Deer Hunter? The Deer Hunter is number 9 with at 183 minutes. Schindler's List? Schindler's List is number 6 at 195 minutes. Cavalcade? 
Uh, Cavalcade is not on this list. I don't think Cavalcade is that long of a movie, is it? I don't know. One of those in one of those one word titles in this thirties <laughs> was like one hundred and seventy five minutes or something. I'm looking up Cavalcade right now. I'm pretty sure Cavalcade's actually a pretty short Best Picture uh, oh. winner. Um, it is 150. Uh, it's, it's a it's 112 minutes, so not even close. Oh. Oh, yes. uh, I, I was thinking of something else. Then. So that puts the score at uh, Todd has five and Terry has two. What else is on the list? Uh, the other ones at uh, number five is Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. Oh gosh, uh, yeah, 201 minutes. Number eight is Gandhi at 191 minutes, and number ten was Dances with Wolves at 181 minutes. Okay, but Terry, you have a chance to redeem yourself. We are going to the shortest Best Picture winners of all time, and uh, you can come back in this round. So uh, why don't we start with you? Go for it. Uh oh gosh, shortest Best Pictures. Um, Moonlight. Moonlight is not on the list. Oh, crap. Oh, Terry. That was a bad, bad pick. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad guess. <laughs> I think Moonlight was actually a fairly lengthy... I think it was like right around two hours, and there have been several Best Picture winners that were considerably under that length. It was 111 minutes, uh, uh, which is on the shorter side, but not one of the top ten shortest movies. Todd, do you have any more that you can name? Uh, Marty. Marty is the shortest, coming in at 90 minutes. Annie Hall. Annie Hall is number two at 93 minutes. Yeah. Uh, it happened one night. It happened one night. It was number 10 at 105 minutes. So hour 45 is... Uh, oh, okay. Uh, wait, so how long was that one? Hour 105. 105. Uh, Crash? Crash is not on the list. That uh, has to be right around How about that. like uh, Driving Miss Daisy? Driving Miss Daisy is number four. Ninety nine. I should I should have given you a uh, should should have given you one chance to miss or something. But uh, Driving Miss Daisy yeah. was number four. Eh, that's all right. You would have lost anyway. Yeah. Uh, sun Sunrise. Uh, Ninety four minutes is number three. Number five. Does that was, even count? Oh, it's a Best Picture winner for sure. Um, best production. That was not okay. Well, you won anyway. Stop complaining. Uh, Broadway Melody at a hundred minutes. The Artist was also a hundred minutes. The Lost Weekend a hundred one minutes. Interesting one. Casablanca at 102 minutes, one of the shortest Best Picture winners, and The French Connection uh, at 104 minutes. Now, it is already decided that Todd won, but can you name the longest film to ever win an Oscar and how long it was? Uh, O.J. Made in America. Oh, O.J. Made in America? uh, No, I I meant not documentary. Sorry. Um, Oh, gosh. Come on. This was was going to be a (laughs) tiebreaker. Slash, I think I got the answer to this question before twenty on a website that was before twenty sixteen. So I, that's not even the one I have anyway. Duh. It's not Gone with the Wind. No, this film did not win Best Picture. I mean, it would have if it's not a doc. I mean, is it foreign? Yes, it is foreign. So it won Best Foreign Film. Uh, uh, not Which is now Best International Film. That is true. I don't think it actually won Best Foreign Film. I think it won... No, it did. Never mind. It did. Yeah, I, I really don't know what it is. Au revoir les enfants. No, that film's that's, like that's an hour and 40 so minutes. shorter. I don't know. Although, although Loki, I was thinking about that for our, our Holocaust film category. Um, but no, the correct answer is War and Peace from 1966, 427 minutes long. 
which might be comparable to uh, OJ Made in America. It might actually be longer. I'm not sure. Wasn't OJ Made in America? It was like was six hours, wasn't it? Well, yeah, 427 minutes with seven oh, yeah, hours. That's, that's so true. Maybe that is still number one. Anyway, Todd gets the point. Todd wins, and uh, Terry has to bask in the glory of thinking Moonlight was much shorter than it was. Yeah. Okay, 11th on that list, I think, on the longest list, has to be Amadeus, because Amadeus is, like, a, exactly three hours. Um, I can look at the 11th, and it was not Amadeus. It was Braveheart. Oh. Amadeus... Amadeus is... Uh, the director's another... cut. Well, the director's oh, cut. I, the di- I, yeah. Amadeus is... A hun- the theatrical cut is 160 minutes, and it ranks number 23. <clears throat> Yikes. Okay. So well, Todd gets mind. a point. Todd, Todd sweeps today's episode after, uh, after some, some tough losses. All right. Well, I guess we can move on then. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Todd's gonna make me watch something, uh, but uh, let's wrap this up with our quote of the day: strawberries, not the cheese. Womack with a little sex in it. Quote of the day: Todd, going to you first. Okay, it comes from Arrested Development, and it really is a quote. It's a quote from Maybe Fugue that really describes how I think on this podcast a lot. And she, at one point, she sits there and says to George Michael, let's just sit here and quietly consider how ridiculous that statement was. And I, I listen to you guys, and that's all I think. I wonder if that's we what Adam laughing. thinks. I was going to say, we were laughing too much to uh, consider um, just... The, the ridiculousness of Adam's response there, but, uh, yeah. Alright, uh, I'll go next. My, my quote comes from, uh, comes from Jojo Rabbit. And, uh, and this is, uh, this is Jojo's best friend, Yorkie. Uh, so this is, uh, so Jojo comes up to him and, and says something like, uh, like, this is bad. And, and Yorkie's response is, yeah, I know, Definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. <laughs> to which I was thinking, is there ever a good time to be a Nazi? I don't, I don't think so. But it, it was one of those lines in the movie that really made me laugh hard. It's like, definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. See, that so. kid was awesome. He, like, that, that kid was, was great. <laughs> uh, all right. Zach. All right, well, my line comes from my number one favorite character of all time who should be in, in their own spinoff, and that is uh, the Nicolas Cage character from Deadfall. Um, he, it, it, this character name is Eddie, and he says, What am I a f- man? Am I a f- uh, I know what this is. Lou's trying to suck me up because of his crazy little nephew being around. Well, vive la f- France, man. And uh, the first to, time we quoted that. Yeah, I was going to say, are we allowed to have the same quote of the day twice? I was gonna do the worm quote about uh, you know check raising tourists at the Taj and you know I was gonna do, I was like oh yeah but I've done that before. <laughs> I don't care. Um, and, I don't uh, care because that's an awesome quote. I'll, I'll <laughs> just cut out the, the the first one of those that I bleeped and you just cut the whole quote in. out. Just a <laughs> yeah. one long bleep. Um, well. While we were talking, I was looking up Deadfall on Amazon to see if I could buy it on Blu-ray. I can't buy it on Blu-ray uh, as an individual copy. However, I can buy it as a six-pack Nicolas Cage Blu-ray combo. That somehow <laughs> seems appropriate. 
Is the six pack like five ninety nine or something? Yes, it's very it's, it's very cheap. <laughs> so I, but, I'm but gonna the purchase DVD that. is ten ninety nine, right? The DVD uh, is ten yeah. ninety nine, but the well, six pack Blu Ray is five ninety nine. But I can't buy the Blu Ray on its own. That's the frustrating thing. <laughs> but it makes sense. Oh man, that does make sense. That's that's very appropriate. And on that note, it is very appropriate that we uh, draw this podcast to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, make sure you uh, subscribe, rate, review, tell as many people as you can about our podcast. Uh, like like we were saying, we're a quirky, non-conventional movie podcast, but we love what we do. And uh, Ask Adam Daly. He's a fan. Yeah, and hopefully you love what we do, too. So uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.